This is a season of stories. In the next week, probably, if you get together with family, or in the next couple weeks, you'll be getting together in the midst of stories, and you'll be hearing stories, family stories. They'll be uh, explained to you of things that have happened in the past with your family, or uh, somebody will share a story that makes your family's history, and you'll hear that. And as you've heard these stories over time, some of them have been, um, evalu- you, you evaluate these stories because you, know, you have some crazy uncle who embellishes them and tells a story that maybe isn't quite the way it was, or uh, some distant rel- relative, it didn't really happen that way. So you have to hear these embellished stories that have become embraced in your family, and at some point in your life, you have to say, wait a second, uh, was, was what Uncle Bill told me really true? And you have to evaluate that story and figure out, is this really true? The scriptures and the story of Christmas is the story of scripture. There is a one grand story that is being told. The kids demonstrated it for, for us, how the story has been told. There's the story of scripture and the story of Jesus, the, the story of his birth, the story of God coming in human flesh, the story of how Jesus came, is the most familiar story in the Western world. I mean, the story of Jesus' birth, everybody knows this story. They, they've heard it. They've, they see it. It gets sung about. But it is a story that needs to be evaluated and then embraced. And the way we've been trying to do that this Christmas, these last few weeks, is to look at Jesus Christ who is the Messiah, which means anointed one. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And the reason we needed a prophet, we said a few weeks ago, was because of our inability to hear God, not God's inability to hear us. But because we have been separated from God due to our sin, we needed the ability to hear God. So God sent a prophet, and he sent many prophets, and then he sent Jesus, who is the ultimate prophet. And then we needed a priest, we looked at last week, because of our iniquity and our sin and our guilt has separated us from God, Isaiah 45 talks about. But Jesus, so there's many priests, many high priests, but then Jesus came, and he is the ultimate high priest, and he is still our reigning high priest. And this morning, we're going to see that Jesus is our king and that we need a king. The reason we need a king is because we insist, because of our sin, because of our iniquity, we insist naturally on self-rule. But we need a king because anarchy does not last long. Just think about Portland about a summer ago. Anarchy doesn't last long. We, we, we need some authority. We need a king, and Jesus is that king. And we sing about this. So this is the picture of Jesus that most people, if they know it or not, this is the picture of Jesus that most people actually know most about, that Jesus is king. This is what people will sing about. It, this is, Jesus is king is the, is the picture of Jesus most prominently heard this time of year. It's sung in O Holy Night. It's sung in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We just sang it a few minutes ago in Joy to the World. All of those songs highlight that Jesus is the King. I I was watching a a TV Christmas special this week, and they sang all these songs and just pronounced to America and the world that Jesus Christ is King. The story of a king, though, for us. We, we, we can sing about it. We, we can talk about it. We can know the stories. 
But deep down in America, we're just not king people. I mean, we, we escaped a king. Well, we aren't used to the idea of having someone be um, a king. We, we don't define ourselves as a people under a king. That's not how we look at our culture as, as under kings. I, mean, I was trying to think, what's the most prominent king story for Americans that we would talk about? And, and for us, I, I would think it's probably the Hans Christian Andersen story of the emperor has no clothes. And, and in our view of the king is he's just a big doofus, you know, and he's walking around naked, and the only honest one is the kid. I mean, that's our pictures of kings. It's not highlighted very well. But the story of Jesus is the story that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king who's reigning. It's not a metaphor. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. But the incarnate son of God Jesus Christ is the creator, savior, king of the world. And Jesus is king. This is what Mary had announced to her. She, she was this young woman minding her own business. And then she has this amazing vision and visitation by the angel, the Gabriel. Gabriel, the angel, comes, who we saw in Daniel. And he comes now to Mary, and he says, a king's going to be born to you for the world. And he's going to reign, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary pondered that. In verse 19, it says she wondered about this story. And then in, Genesis, and in chapter 2, verse 19, it talks about Mary seeing Jesus being born and all the people coming, the angels and the shepherds. And it says, Mary pondered these things in her hearts, which meant Mary really questioned them. She used all her rationaling abilities to think about all these things that she had experienced, all the things that had happened to her. She didn't just blindly take this to be, okay, let, let, this, let this happen. She was a thoughtful individual. When all these things happened, she pondered them. She rationalized it. She thought about it. What's going on here in my life? Well, what's happening in the world? This is how Mary thought. So this morning, we want to see Jesus. And we want to see Jesus as king. I just want to look quickly at what does it mean that Jesus is king? Why does it matter that Jesus is king? And what movement does it look like to live under the reign of King Jesus? How do, you, how do you move under the reign of a king like Jesus? What does it mean that Jesus is king? A king is someone who has authority to rule and reign over a particular people. In Mark's gospel, he doesn't start out with the birth story. In Mark's gospel, in John chapter one, Mark chapter one, verse fourteen, he starts out with Jesus coming into Galilee and proclaiming. In verse fourteen, Jesus comes in into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." Repent and believe in the good news. Before he even went to the cross, Jesus comes into Galilee and says, the kingdom of God, the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. So what does this mean? 
As Jesus proclaimed that, as he, as he walked in and said, the time has been fulfilled, what it means that Jesus is king, there, there definitely has to be some kind of historical connection. Something's been fulfilled that's taken place, that now he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. We're supposed to believe this good news. And it's because there is this connection. When you read the Bible, as Alistair Begg says so well, we need to read the Bible backwards. Because if you don't read the Bible backwards, you're going to get easily lost. You start in the New Old Testament, and you see all these different pictures and signs and prophets and priests and kings and, and all these different things that seem a little not connected. But then it all gets connected towards the end of the New Testament. So when you read your Bible, we have to read it backwards and, and, and see how all those things are connected. And there's this historical connection when Jesus said the time has been fulfilled. That this was what the people were hoping for. This is not the way God originally planned it. He put Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam was, and they were to have dominion and reign over the garden. Well, they rejected that. They were kicked out of the garden because of their sin. And the people wandered around, and eventually they saw other nations who were idolatrous and living against God. And they say, we, we, we want that. We want somebody to rule and reign over us because anarchy does not last long. Even though people did what they wanted to do in their own eyes, they said, we, we want a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel says, no, you don't want a king. That's not a good thing. But then God says, Samuel, calm down. L let him have a king. Go find David, the young shepherd boy. Bring him in here. Anoint him with oil. He's going to be king. Well, first he anointed Saul, actually. And Saul looked like a great king, turned out to be not a good king. Then David gets to become king. And David's not the perfect king. Then Solomon gets to become king, and he's not the perfect king. And many other kings keep coming, but they'd been promised that there was going to be this king who was going to be great and perfect. And Isaiah chapter 9 says, for this is what's going to happen with this king. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom and of peace there will be no end, and the throne of David over his generations. And they were looking for that king who was going to be the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, and they saw all these other kings and they weren't fitting that person. So they kept looking and they kept looking and it was promised to them and then all of a sudden everything just went silent. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's just 400 years of silence. All these promises of God, all this promise of a king, all this child's going to be born from the stump of Jesse, his kingdom's going to go on forever and nothing. And then Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to give birth to a king. This is what they were expecting all along. This is what had been 
promise to them. And then Jesus comes and he stands and he announces that the kingdom of God has come. Believe the good news. And people watch him and they see him and they think, yes, finally, now we're going to get the political power that we want. We're going to be able to have, be triumphant in our land. All the people who have oppressed the nation of Israel are going to be wiped out. Now we have our king. This is what they had anticipated. This is what they had hoped for. There was this historical connection. It all seemed to fit. But then they started to look at Jesus. And they started to watch how Jesus lived his life. And he wasn't saying the things that they had hoped he was going to say. He wasn't talking about this revolution. He wasn't coming in on a, on a war horse. He rode in on a donkey. He, he would say one thing and then tell people not to make a big deal about it. Even John the Baptist said to him, hey, go, he sent his disciples over to them and said, hey, go find Jesus and say to him, are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for? Or are we supposed to wait for somebody else? Jesus was king, but he was covered a little while on earth. The disciples struggled with it. They argued with each other. They didn't know what was going on. There was a, there was a head-scratching component about Jesus as kings. The people had all these human expectations, and Jesus wasn't quite meeting those expectations. But in his presentation, it wasn't the king that they expected. This was the king that came, not triumphantly, but he came born to a virgin in a place where there was no room for him. He, he, he walked humbly amongst people. He cared for people, he loved people, he healed people, he talked about what God did, he claimed to be God. And then he got beat by people. He let people mock him. He let people put a, thorn, a crown of thorns on his head. He let them whip him. He let them take him to the cross. The most degrading way to die. And he let him hang them there. And he let himself die. That's not the king that they were expected. But that's the king that they needed. You're not going to understand Jesus if you try to figure it out by your rational mind. You're not going to be able to understand Jesus if you, if you look at Scripture and say, this is a good story. I mean, this is, there's some really good stuff in here, a lot of good drama in here, and try to figure it out rationally how this fits. You're not going to understand Jesus by just rationally trying to figure it out with your mind or just trying to figure it out with your will because Jesus said some very moral things you're supposed to do if you want to have a successful life. And you say, well, I can just work really hard and try to do the things that Jesus said to do and my life will go well. You're not going to understand Jesus that way. The way you understand Jesus is by faith. It's coming to Jesus by faith. And seeing who he said he was, seeing how he lived, what he did, seeing his death on the cross, seeing that he rose from the grave, and that he is the king. And that's the gospel. And embracing Jesus by faith, that he could take your sins. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The Westminster Shorter Catechism Ask the question, how does Christ execute the office of king? And the answer is, 
in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Jesus is king. It may not be the way people thought he'd come in, but he is the king that we need. He was the king that we really wanted. That's what it means that Jesus is king, but what does it matter that Jesus is king for us? The fact that Jesus is king for us, it gives us hope for salvation. Colossians chapter 2 says this in verses 13 through 15, it says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiving us, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What does it mean that Jesus is king? Why does it matter? It matters because Jesus was the king that we needed. We needed God to come to be like us. We, there had to be something done for our sins. It couldn't just be overlooked. And there had to be a representation that could take the guilt and the, the punishment. So God came in the form of Jesus. He came, he lived the life that we could not and would not live, and he went to the cross. And like a king, he conquered and disarmed those who were against us. That's what a king does. He protects his people. Jesus, being the king, allows us to have our sin debt canceled, and he triumphs over our enemy. It's our hope for salvation. It's not only our hope for salvation, but it's our hope for your current situation. It's the end, or it's the middle of the year for many of you as teachers, and it's the end of the year for many of all, for all of us. And when we talk in these days and times, the phrase that keeps coming up is, I'm just so tired. I, I, I'm, I'm weary. Things are a lot harder now than they've ever been. This is just the reality that a pandemic causes and all the chaos that goes along with it. So it's great that Jesus is king, and it's great that he can forgive us for our sins, but sometimes we want to know, well, what does it matter even today? I mean, that, those are all wonderful. We hope in that. But what, what's the help for your current situation? The fact that Jesus is king, it says in Colossians 1 about Jesus. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The fact that Jesus is king, the fact that he's the one who created the world, the fact that Jesus is the one who's reigning over the world right now, he's the one holding all things together. Everything that happened to you in 2021 was being held together by Jesus who reigned over all of it. The hope that gives you is that no matter how weary you are, how tired you are, 
how hard it is, how hard you feel it's going to be. We have a king who experienced all that hardness. He knows exactly what it's like to suffer. He felt every one of it. And he's the one who's holding it all together. There's nothing that's passing to you that has not passed through the hands that have bled for you. And it's being held together by a king who reigns over all, who knows what's going on. He's got a great picture for all of it. Abraham Kuyper, who was the prime minister um, in, uh, in the Netherlands in the early part of this last century, he was a Christian. He has a famous quote, and he said this, There is not, and listen, if you're, if you're weary, if you're tired, Listen to this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The rough work situation, the tough family situation, the tough inner struggle that you're going through, the past emotional pain, the struggle you're looking at, all of that. Jesus reigns over it and he says, listen, it's mine. It's mine. He reigns over all of it. This is how it helps us that Jesus is king in our current situation. John Calvin says, we may patiently pass through life, which is all that we're doing. We're just passing through life. It's a very short period of time that you are on this earth. You, we are just all just passing through. And while we're passing through, the eternal God, Jesus Christ, reigns over our little passing through. We may pass, patiently pass through this life with its misery, cold, contempt, reproaches, and other troubles, content with this one thing, that our king will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs until our, welfare, our warfare is ended and we are called to triumph. This is the promise that we have as Jesus as our king. It's our hope for salvation. It's our hope for your current situation. And it's your hope for what is to come. Revelation says, it talks about the lamb in Revelation chapter 11. And it talks about how Jesus, the lamb, is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he will be forever. You can't think about these things with just your mind. And you can't just think about these things with just your will. You have to accept Jesus as king by faith. I was watching this picture of uh, someone who was just doing these high dives off of uh, extremely high places, basically a four-story building, into this little pool of water. And for some of you, that's how you look at Jesus. You, you hear these things, that he's my prophet, he's my priest, he's my king, you read the Bible, you hear the Bible, you know people who love Jesus, you watch their life, and you say, I would, just, I would love that to be true. I wish that story would be true. But you, you get on the high dive, and you look down, and you, it seems like just such a small little pool. And if you really were to jump, you're not really sure that Jesus would be there to catch you. That's not how Jesus is. That's not the truth of the gospel. It is a high dive. It is a step of faith. But when you dive, and you don't end up in a little pool, you end up in an ocean. 
that you can never touch the bottom to of the greatness of God and who he is and what he has to offer us in Jesus Christ. It's our hope for the future. What does it mean that Jesus is king? It's your hope for salvation. It's your hope for your current situation. It's your hope for what is to come. Kevin DeYoung says, Jesus is not just Lord of our lives. He is king of the entire cosmos. He's not just a way. He's the only way. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. But what does movement under that King Jesus look like? What's it look like to move and live under the reign of Jesus and in his kingdom? It's important because we have seen in the last two years what it's like to live under reigns and regimes and governments. And some of them aren't that easy and none of them are all good. But what is it like to live under the reign of King Jesus? Because Jesus came and was born, because he lived the way he lived, because he died on the cross for our sins, and because he rose again, it is true that the kingdom of God has come. It is here. The kingdom of God is active now, and there's a part of the kingdom of God that is yet to come. So it's kind of where the in-between, there's the already of it, and then the not yet, but what we're looking forward to. So what does it mean now for us to live in the reign and move under the kingdom of Jesus. This is what it means, first of all. It means if you're wondering about Jesus, is it true that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he went to the cross for the payment of sins, and that he rose again and he loves you? What it means to live under the reign of Jesus is to come to Jesus. Not come to the Bible, not come to church, not come to some things your parents taught you or your grandma prayed for you what it means to live under King Jesus for some of you might just mean to come to Jesus come see Jesus ask God show me Jesus show me who you are and come to Jesus and then it means to come and worship Jesus together this is what we're called to do those who have been called of his kingdom, called to Jesus, are called to come together, to love each other, to worship together. Even this Thursday, if you can, come gather with us as we take communion and sing and celebrate who Jesus is. Together, we lift up the praises of Jesus. We come and worship Jesus together. But it also means for weary, tired people who have a king who created the world, who reigns over the world, who's in control of our lives. It means to just keep continuing in confidence with Jesus. What does that look like, to continue in confidence with Jesus? I don't think I've heard a better illustration of it than this past week by an 18-year-old girl maybe close to the age of Mary, 
for heard she was going to give birth to the king of the world. But on December 3rd of this month, 37-year-old Jamie Amalo in Mesquite, Texas, was hanging out with his girlfriend outside a strip mall. And Jamie's wife showed up and confronted him. And a domestic violence case took off and police officer Richard Houston showed up on the scenes to deal with it and do his job. And in the process of doing his job, Jamie pulls out a gun, shoots him, kills him, then takes the gun and shoots himself. Richard Houston is a, was a follower of Jesus Christ. His assistant chief said this, Richard walked with God each and every day in everything that he did. 46 years old, father of three, been a mesquite police officer for 23 years. About a few days later, at his memorial service, his oldest daughter, Shelby, 18 years of age, eulogized her dad at the memorial service. And this is what she said. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how, to, how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think that there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me, but as it happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion, and part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I get to spend some time with this man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. That's what it looks like for an 18-year-old girl who knows Jesus is king and knows that he reigns over the world to move and live under the reign of King Jesus. Because what she knows is this is not the end. She knows she'll see her dad again. She knows she'll see Jesus again. She knows that all wrongs will be made right someday for those who know Jesus because he reigns and he shall reign forever and ever. Keep coming to Jesus. Say to him in faith, you are my king. Let's pray.